This is episode 2 of the Asian Tech Chat podcast. This is the Asian Tech Chat podcast. What you get to know what's buzzing behind the great firewall and beyond. With new guests every episode, yeah, I'm ready. So you better stay tuned. It's about to be crazy. Welcome to episode 2 of the Asian Tech Chat podcast where you get to peek what's buzzing behind the Asian tech and startup scene. I'm your host Ankur and today my guest on the show is Daniel Sinclair. Uh Daniel's from Brooklyn. Uh he's founder and CTO of a New York-based startup called Dormilo, which is a social messaging platform which lets you find and message friends and classmates. So welcome to the show Dan. It's an honor to have you here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me Ankur. I'm, I'm excited to talk China. I don't do this often cuz I kind of focus on <laughs> Silicon Valley tech uh, with my work, but I'm excited. All right, uh, your Twitch shows otherwise. I mean, you're really, really very insightful in China, so I had to invite you. Okay, so to start off, uh, I remember asking <laughs> you about uh, why you are so interested in China uh, and Asia as a whole, and you said that since you are building a social product, and since Chinese tech companies are by far the leading indicators, you are interested in understanding the space and trying to like you know decipher how to bring those concepts to best. So, could you expand a bit more on it? Like, what sort of insights specific to social you observed that you'd like to, you know, bring to best or transcend? Of course, <laughs> it's funny you're quoting my <laughs> tweets. That's great. Yeah, the reason I focus on um, the China tech scene, uh, and I'll, I'll get into deeper why, but like you said, it's a leading indicator. I view China as one of the most mature social markets in terms of social network technology, startup scene as a whole, and technology. It's one of the most uh, mature markets, and it's maturing much more quickly than the U.S. Um, so in the U.S., we have dominant players like you know Apple. Uh, which actually for being the biggest tech company doesn't have a social presence which is pretty interesting uh, that's different in China uh, we have companies like Facebook which have mm-hmm. dominant platforms like their their mainstream uh, product the Facebook flagship app um, but these apps don't have the same level of control and the same level of um, I like to call it like life ownership daily inputs so you don't interact with these brands more than um, you would for entertainment people on facebook and on twitter scroll through these social platforms for entertainment to communicate in kind of uh, asynchronous fashion but that's kind of where the the life ownership ends these platforms don't really expand past that um but what we're seeing in in china is much deeper integration in, into daily life which i find fascinating like wechat uh, is so embedded in the workplace is so embedded in um culture so embedded in dating life these platforms have so much more control in china um uh, among that population than we see with the largest tech companies in the us so as someone working in the social space it's kind of my job to to look at these other markets and say how is the us going to mature and how is it going to look like that um and i think today china is the leading indicator yeah yeah that's right uh and even like back in 2010 i think uh, i was in india and people were uh, always used to have this you know narrative that all china does is being a copycat right it's just 
copies mm-hmm. Weibo is like a Twitter of China, or uh, you know, say Baidu is Google of China. I mean, uh, it has changed a lot, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not like, for example, you see Zihu, which is uh, supposed to be Kura. Uh, mm-hmm. You look at Kura right now, and you see that it's basically what Yahoo Answers wanted to be. It's it's sort of like evolving. It, it is not innovating as fast as say Zihu has innovated. You know, Zihu is like you could say that it's Twitter in there. They have LinkedIn been in there. They have like Patreon built in there. They can you can donate on that platform. So uh, innovation at a very fast and very rapid rate. That is so much more different than what's happening in the West right now, right? Yes, I, I completely agree with what you said. You know, in in the tech narrative in Silicon Valley tech press, you know, TechCrunch, which is actually doing a pretty good job, but the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, um, American media that covers technology, that's how they describe these Chinese tech co- technology companies. You know, Zihu is the Quora. Um, then, of course, Weibo is the the Twitter competitor. But in reality, these platforms are something new. In a lot of ways, China has looked out um, to the West, has admired the technology that we created and innovated and invented, and that includes the social networking platforms like Twitter and, and Facebook. And they've replicated a lot of that because of the Great Firewall. So I like to view China as kind of a one-way mirror. So because of whether this was intentional or unintentional, I kind of view it as more of an intentional strategy. Um, China is very protectionist in that the Great Firewall prevents competition um, from from the West, from outside um, companies outside of China. So Facebook was banned in China. Skype is banned in China. Um, these are more recent developments, but this is a trend that's been happening for a decade now. Um, so by being protectionist, China kind of banned these things, these innovative technologies that Um, already started to take grip on China. So they had Chinese startups, Chinese innovators had no choice but to replicate these because the the original innovators were banned in the country. And in doing that, um, and China kind of being isolated with the Great Firewall, we've seen the innovation and and the iteration uh, increase so much more rapidly than we're seeing in Silicon Valley. Um, You know, like you said, uh, Zuhu started out more like Yahoo Answers and Quora, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's really become something new with new revenue models that we don't even see yet in the U.S. It's just iterated so much more quickly because they had no other choice than to build these products themselves. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, uh, you know that this great firewall, it sort of creates a vacuum, uh, which is not in the West, like People cannot just fill that vacuum. The West companies can just come in because of how protectionist China is. But uh, I feel that after a certain time, once because there's so much more competition, right? And there's like so much more companies building products at a rapid pace and on the same ideas that you have to be a lot more innovative than just copy West. You can't just do that. And I think that sort of forces these Chinese startups to sort of iterate more fastly, as you say. So, um Moving on, like uh, I would like to talk a bit about the e-commerce thing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you've been uh, keeping an eye on these acquisitions that Tencent and JD and Alibaba has been doing. I mean, Tencent bought a 5% stake in Yonghui Chaozi, that is Yonghui Superstores. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that, that's, that 5% stake is valued at like $639 million. Uh, after This happened after Alibaba bought a $3 billion stake in uh, Sun Art Retail Group which is also 
had 20 offline supermarkets called uh, Herma Siangsung, that is Hema. So th- this is like, it serves as not just a high-end supermarket, but also sort of like a food court and a fulfillment center for grocery delivery. So how do you like uh, see this coming up? It's really getting very interesting e-commerce space in China, isn't it? It's fascinating. Over the last year, 2017, e-commerce in China has had so much money thrown around. It's incredible. I think, frankly, it's underreported. Uh, like you said, the massive $3 billion acquisition um, from Alibaba of uh, Sunart, um, of course, what they're doing with Huma and um, what Tencent's doing with uh, Yanghui. It's incredible. The, the grip that these large technology companies have on e-commerce uh, is unlike anything I think the world has ever seen. Uh, in the U.S., um, in kind of the Silicon Valley ethos, uh, which likes to think it's a leader in these areas, Alibaba is viewed as the technology company that will reach a trillion-dollar market cap and own the world. Um, but really, I, th- I think Alibaba and Tencent, because of uh, these e-commerce and these physical retail acquisitions over the, uh, the last year, they're more likely to reach a trillion dollar market cap before any U.S. company does. Um, And I I think that's underreported, frankly. Um, But yes, the amount of innovation and development in this sector is just frankly incredible over the last over the last year. Um, In the U.S., uh, Amazon's working on they had acquired Whole Foods and now they're working on Amazon Go, which is the kind of quick grab something, walk out without a cashier. Um, market. And this is something they, they use kind of as a marketing strategy. Oh, look at this technology we're, we're innovating on and all this stuff that uh, we're going to, to be rolling out to customers. And it's brand building the way they're marketing this, um, but it doesn't exist yet. And if you go in, in, in China, there actually are a number of Amazon mm-hmm. Go-like services that are operating today on a large scale. And they're bar- backed heavily um, between Tencent and, and Alibaba. Uh, Alibaba's biggest effort being um, Huma, which uh, I think they have 13 retail stores. Like 20 offline supermarket uh, Huma. Yeah, and it serves mm-hmm. as like sort of a fulfillment center for grocery delivery. Like you don't need to pay cash and you can just buy something, go back to home and you will have it delivered fresh. Uh, and even Yonghui has opened a uh, similar chain called Super Spices. Mm-hmm. I think it's called like uh, Chaozi Wuzhong or something. Uh, and uh, both Super Spices and Hema offers uh, grocery delivery under 30 minutes with a three kilometer radius. I mean, this is fascinating. West has something similar, like does Amazon go? I cannot I cannot think of any Indian alternative, but does West have something, Amazon have something similar? I think the closest comparison is um, Ola Cab. They have services in kind of Southeast Asia, but there is... Um, in, in the U.S. market, Amazon has uh, Amazon Fresh, which delivers in big cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of cities is very limited, and uh, it's much more of a scheduled thing than a on-time, uh, you know, on-demand kind of service, like we're seeing with um, Tencent and, and Alibaba's efforts. Um, but no, there is nothing comparable in the U.S. today. It's actually far behind. I'd say two or three years behind the efforts Um in China today. Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of uh, 
what comes from the narrative that China has sort of like leapfrogged a lot of innovation that US had to do, like because of how uh, mobile payment has worked out. I think it has, you know, it has been a catalyst to a lot of innovation that's happening in China. And uh, and that's why pushing China forward from US in past two years, I think, is, is just because of how frictionless the economy has become. And uh, yeah, moving on, you talked about Ola Cabs. So I'd like your view on this going on in India moving from China to India. You see Uber and Ola cabs. Uber has been a lot of controversy in past years. Uh, they would like to forget, honestly. I mean, it's been like <laughs> a brutal year for Uber. So what's your view on that? Like, how do you see this playing out? Uber's in a tough spot right now. Um, they are the biggest player in ride hail and really have innovated um, and were the largest innovator for a long time in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the last year, t- towards the end of 2016, uh, when they were forced to leave China after Daidai had, had kind of won and everyone had spent a ton of money trying to win over that market, um, it just became kind of a downward spiral uh, for Uber. One hit after another, um, at least that's the media's narrative. And in, in a lot of ways, it's true. Um, the company is healthy, especially in the U.S. market and in the West, Um their their presence in London is is recovering. Their presence in cities where it was banned, um, like New York City and, and stuff, those are, are resolved and recovering. So Uber as a, a global player is still pretty healthy, but in markets like um, you had mentioned India with companies like Ola Cab and uh, Southeast Asia in general, Ola is becoming much more of a dominant player because yeah. of their their super app role. So in a lot of ways, where Tencent has kind of gripped e-commerce, like you said, with with WeChat Pay, WePay um, in this region because it's, it's so frictionless to just send money through um, mobile commerce. Uh, Ola has kind of leapfrogged the players in, in India in that sector. Now, Paytm is catching up, but Ola has kind of leapfrogged with their, their payment service yeah. <laughs> and they've kind of closed the gap and verticalized um, so you can get uh, uh, Ola delivery, um, Ola, they, they also have their, um, their bike service, which I mean, isn't bike service. Yeah. That started. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was crazy. That, that news just got me like, Oh, I'm pretty interested how this uh, rolls out because India is, uh, is going to be tough. Startups are tough, but bike sharing service in India, uh, they would really have my respect if any of these country pulled that off. Uh, so yeah, coming back to Uber, uh, it was not all bad for Uber last year, is it? Is it like Uber Eats had great business last year? They made like three billion dollar profit, I think. So, and even coming down to Ola Cabs and Uber, and then in Southeast Asia you have Gozek and all of them. SoftBank has investment in all of them. And uh, how do you see this playing out? I mean, SoftBank. Do you see SoftBank as the only uh, entity coming out as winner from this space because uh, it's really getting very crowded and dirty? I mean, right? Yeah, it's, we're in an interesting position. So Uber is still largely the dominant player with the, the largest market cap. But if you combine these other global players, um, Uber looks relatively relatively small in that respect. Um, and SoftBank now has money in seemingly all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. So SoftBank's actually in a position where they can um, control the market in that they own such a large piece of these companies where they can say competition uh, is not necessary here. We can equalize the pricing so no one's losing money and competing for customers. 
Um, and I think that's going to be the narrative of 2018 in, in kind of Southeast Asia. SoftBank will push these companies towards profitability by having their own little piece of each of them. Yeah. Or do you see this uh, merger happening in like the, the choosing sort of merger happening? Like a lot of, do you see that like Grab is in Singapore, Gozek is in Singapore, all they are doing in this race to the bottom with discount marketing. Uh, do you see any, any sort of like merger happening? If not, uh, in this uh, taxi thing, maybe in Southeast Asia or India, do you see any anything like that happening or do you think it's going to be all in capitalism war? No, truthfully, I, I do think we will see quite a few mergers. Um, it might take a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the U.S. market's kind of matured as far as, as far as ride sharing. There's a lot of growth opportunity, but the players are kind of matured. I don't think that's a given in these other countries. Uh, like in certain countries, Ola Cab is you know the super app, the dominant player, um, but that's not the case all around. So yes, I, I do think a lot of these small players will um, merge. Transportation is inherently going to be a monopoly for a long times. For a long time, it was the, the kind of the public se- sector monopoly. So bus systems, train systems. Um, for it to be a profitable entry, there can't be um, much competition. You can't raise prices to the bottom. And I really do think consolidation will help with that. SoftBank, in a way, is kind of consolidating by having a piece in all of them and, and having ne- negotiation leverage. But we will see a lot of the small players join together. And to kind of parallel that in, in ride sharing, ride sharing, um, OFA, uh, OFO bikes. All these names. Are so, <laughs> yeah, yes, all these names are, are so close. Yeah. OFO and um, Mobike, Mobike yeah. uh, which uh, Alibaba has some uh, a piece of OFO, uh, and SoftBank has a piece of Mobike, I believe. Maybe I have the other the other way around here. And, but and, that is and SoftBank is one of the major investor in Alibaba, right? So you know, it's all yes. nobody knows who is enemy and who is friend in this <laughs> when it's so crowded. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, Didi Chosing, I think uh, 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 it is like uh, I don't know how much is valued at like almost as much as Uber, right? It's valued like last time I checked, it was like forty eight billion dollars or something, and Uber's valuation is also around that. So do you think Didi is overvalued or what's your point here? Um, actually, I think Uber's valuation, uh, SoftBank received a discount for their their large <laughs> large uh, share acquisition, uh, their $10 billion thing that went through, I think yesterday or the day before that. Um, mm-hmm. That was discounted towards around $45 billion. Uber's last valuation before that was $70 billion. I think that valuation is kind of still where the indicator is. But within a year, that could be $100 billion just on, on current revenue growth. Um, where, so I, I still think Dida is the smaller player, but Uber mm-hmm. owns a piece of that, so they benefit. Um, but uh, kind of acquisitions and, and mergers, uh, I think, will, will benefit Uber as well. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's right. Um, okay, coming back to India, uh, looking at Paytm, it's almost a monopoly now, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know how great it is for the financial sector or financial startups in India, but looks like it is slowly, slowly crawling into every single uh, startup, you know, space. You know, Paytm is now they have like Paytm Mall and and a lot of other stuff. So, what's your uh, point of view on Paytm? Like, it's uh, one of the biggest investors is Alibaba, and uh, it is. 
the Alipay app is very similar to that. So do you think they are following Alipay's roadmap? And uh, I, I just, uh, somebody told me that they were even sharing the code bases. So do you think, do, what's your point of view in that? I hadn't heard the sharing code bases. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In and in a lot of ways, um, you know, Alipay and WePay kind of launch at the same time. Um, WeChat was was more the, the verticalized kind of super app model, which then uh, added on pay. To, to make commerce easier mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of also rolled out physical retail and, and physical money sharing um, along with their roadmap. And then Ali, Alibaba had a different way focused on retail um, to kind of accomplish the same goals. And I think that uh, is playing out, you know, that that's kind of the model that seems to have worked and that's playing out in India right now with Paytm. Paytm is kind of filling the, the void of what PayPal was in the U.S. when there wasn't a lot of financial technology in, in the uh, early 2000s. Um, I, I think that's repeating itself. And Paytm benefited greatly from the uh, deflation, the, the overnight deflation of currency in India. And it kind of pushed India, uh, where a lot of financial technology it doesn't exist yet. It pushed India into a leapfrog, kind of like had, that had happened to China for the credit industry. Yeah. Um, the same thing is, has repeated itself. And, and Paytm, like you had said, is verticalizing in the same way Alibaba is verticalizing with uh, you know Alipay partnerships and uh, the Alipay ecosystem and the same thing with the WePay ecosystem. Yeah, I, I, I think these are very, very good parallels. And um, I, I really do think China was the leading indicator here. Yeah, yeah, that that that, that was a great point. Like uh, talking about this demonetization in India, where they sort of uh, stop the currency and Paytm sort. Uh, I think it's escalated from there for Paytm. I mean, looking at the Paytm competition, I mean, there is a mobile KBiki. I don't think it's scaled that much. I think it has a great team, great CEO. But I think Vijay Sekar Sharma, the CEO of Paytm, has been working really hard. The product roadmap is perfect, and I think this sharing code base thing. I actually went on LinkedIn and I was looking at their. Uh, their stuff we've worked before and one of their product manager had something like i coordinated with the teams in uh, china to share code base and i was like okay you know what <laughs> this is interesting so i called few few of my friends in alipay uh, in uh, sengjing and guangdo and they said that yeah they've been sharing a lot of code bases so uh, that one looks interesting uh, but uh, and also there is one more competition that is google page which is also in the financial space in india and i feel it was a disaster i mean you couldn't download the app uh, you couldn't like you couldn't log in. I mean, it was a product nightmare. So uh, yeah, it looks looks like Paytm is going to be the clear winner out in the India space. <laughs> okay, uh, coming up to Singapore, like what what do you feel about Grab? Do you do you think uh, this taxi hailing space in Singapore is almost you know it's, it's done and dusted? Is Grab is going to be the only one coming out? I would say it's a it's a maturing market. I don't think it's over yet. I think there. I mean, if you if you look at the last year, look how much change there has been. It's the amount of product development and just product uh, iteration and innovation over the last year is really unprecedented. Uh, nothing has moved this quickly as far as mergers, acquisitions, investments. I don't think it's over yet, but the the names that we see today will be names we see a year from now, whether um, they're bigger, smaller. I don't think we know, but Grab is in a very strong position now. So it's kind of hard to predict the future in that way. Um, but I, I do think Grab is going to be um, right up there with Uber on, as far as global scale. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, about that, I, I feel that is really very interesting. Uh, whatever, however, is working right now. This uh, taxi and ride sharing space is going more and more crowded, and more and more money is getting pumped. You have uh, Gozek in Indonesia, and I was listening to his CEO. He said that he's he was built with the desire to be resilient against these giants. So I don't think in near future, <laughs> I I would I don't predict there would be merger. I feel there would be some bloodbath, but let's see how the future rolls. Okay, coming back to uh, social space again, Taotiao is uh, is really, really big in China, which many people outside outside China don't know about. I mean, it, it is like one of the main sort of player in China's news and content market, right? I mean, it, it has always aimed to be the platform that understands you most and the algorithms and all the thing, you know, we have so much trouble in Instagram. Last night, I think I was looking at the tweet that said they would pay to, to vote to Instagram to, to show them feeds in chronological order. They at, at least uh, hate these algorithmic feed. So Taotiao is, is sort of like working on other space. I mean, they have uh, they have these algorithmic feeds and people love it. I mean, what, what do you think? What needs to be learned? What we need to learn from these small and big Chinese social companies really working so well? That's a good question. You know, a year ago, there was very little news coverage of Tiao And today, much more. Um, Silicon Valley is, is seeing it, at least those who should be looking. Um, I believe they're finally finally seeing this. Um, the real advantage over these companies, um, over kind of the new aggregation companies um, and even content production, is that they're algorithmically driven so they can c- control what people see Um through an algorithm. So essentially they, they let um, users see what they want to see, not what their friends want them to see. Um, so these, these are platforms that live isolated from social platforms, but I don't think that is something that will last forever. I think these platforms will become uh, more social and that's trends we're starting to see, you know, ByteDance, which uh, is building TLTL is uh, had just acquired Musical.ly, which is mm-hmm. also a Chinese company. Most people don't know that. Um, so I, I think the the biggest thing to learn is that um, one unique content. That's one of the benefits of TLTL. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, most people don't know this, but there's a lot of algorithmically created and generated content. So yeah. um, they'll summarize articles and, and stuff like that, similar to what Yahoo had done with Yahoo News a few years ago. <laughs> but they're, they're doing this today on, on a scale much larger. And it seems to really be uh, benefiting. You know, users are, are really um, taking advantage of this and, and liking it. Um, so that's one benefit. I think the other is just dictating that people want to see what they want to see, not what their friends want to see. That is something that we haven't really seen. You know, Zuckerberg and, and Facebook had kind of created this model of your friends like something and then that's what you see. Uh, and that's kind of the path Facebook went down and a lot of social companies copied that with Twitter. Um, you know, Twitter kind of follows that model as well, although you, it really emphasizes uh, who you're following. Um, but retweets are an example of that. So the U.S. has kind of gone down. The Silicon Valley tech sector has gone down. Um, this path. And I think there's a lot, a lot of different opportunities out there. And TLTL is one example. And I think they're doing really well. 
yeah uh so yeah Taotiao has like a six uh, i think sort video apps on app store and three are in china uh, i think the three outside china is like flipgarm and musically and top watch i think top watch was i think one of the top three news apps in the us like <laughs> i don't know what state department doing right now that should be really something to worry about isn't it china controlling the news what you see and what you hear in, in the us isn't it you really you you bring up a, a really good point there. So a lot of the the media narrative of Silicon Valley companies this year has been about <laughs> fake news and uh, Russian influence and yeah. our election and and how bots are controlling what we see, and that's a problem that China hasn't really experienced. Um, it it raises another question, <laughs> but China hasn't experienced because there are state sponsored, um, you know, censors people that literally censor content. And big social platforms are, are for, uh, forced to work with the government to prevent the spread of fake news. But then there's also the problem of the spread of true news, which is being okay. censored. Um, so that's a really interesting question. As Chinese companies become more dominant, like we're seeing with Musical.ly, mm-hmm. um, these companies, uh, you know, Musical.ly, I, I'm sure their servers are housed here in the U.S. I think that may change and their servers might shift overseas. And if Musical.ly is an indicator of what's to come, a lot of these, uh, the social apps, um, the most innovative social products um, that will come out of China, not the U.S., um, will in some way be tied back to the, the China government. So there is a question of censorship. I'm not sure how that's going to play out yet. Um, in my opinion, uh, that's a bad media narrative. <laughs> so if these companies are... Deeply ingrained with the Chinese government, um, Apple will push them off the App Store potentially. Google would do the same, um, and China wants to maintain their control in, as far as global expansion and social networking. So I think they would want to avoid that narrative at all costs. But those are really interesting questions right now, and I don't think yeah, anyone. Yeah, that's right. That. I feel uh, for Taotiao, I'm I'm extremely extremely long on this. I feel. Uh, that you know, just to give you an example, like the average user of Shigua video mm-hmm. that was formerly Taotiao video, they spend seventy minutes on the app. Uh, that compared to like sixty minutes for average YouTube user per day. I mean, uh, it's just crazy. The scale scale just astonishes me. And of uh, also like uh, that's this is like completely AI driven, right? They are cutting on all the uh, intermediate cost of building that. Okay, coming back to talking about artificial intelligence, uh, Google opened. Uh, an AI shop in Beijing, right? And uh, what what mm-hmm. do you see up like Google AI Center? Uh, it will be led by Fei Fei Li, who is uh, chief scientist of uh, uh, Google Cloud and the Stanford professor of uh, artificial intelligence lab. And uh, what do you see this like Google setting up an AI center? Baidu has uh, a deep learning lab here, and uh, even Taotiao AI Center is really good. So artificial intelligence scene in China is really mm-hmm. really. I think it's 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 a lot more ahead of anywhere else in the world right now. Yes, I, I think artificial intelligence is one of the reasons China will dominate in, as far as technology and, and the social sector. There's so much energy in artificial intelligence right now. Like you had mentioned, Tiao Tiao, um, mm-hmm. they're acquiring talent for $3 million salaries in, in US dollars. And that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah. in terms of um, artificial intelligence talent. So that's encouraging a lot of students. Yep. Yeah, NBA just, play, player level of uh, salaries here. Yeah, you don't need to be an NBA player to get those kind of salaries anymore. <laughs> no, no, you could be smart and, and know basic artificial intelligence and, and get those salaries, which is crazy. But I, I think that shows you the 
and in the excitement of this technology, like uh, what U2, what is it? U2 or U2 <laughs> is the um, facial recognition company that's kind of backed by Beijing and, and the Chinese central government mm-hmm. that's trying to build out the surveillance state, as everyone's saying. Um, that's creating a ton of demand for artificial intelligence talent. So universities are pumping it out. Universities today are investing um, a ton of money. And I, I'm pretty sure a lot of the, the central government is, is funding a lot of grants and stuff for research. Chinese universities have uh, three of the top 10 most cited AI research papers today. Mm-hmm. So the the talent is developing. There's not enough of it because you know there's so much demand with these social apps and um, surveillance technology. But over the next ten years, I think the demand will be met, and there will be a ton more talent in AI. And Silicon Valley just cannot compete because the Chinese population is you know three times the United States and the West population. Um, and frankly, we're going backwards instead of forwards in, in terms of um, education. So, yes, that's the biggest advantage I see today, artificial technology um, or artificial intelligence technology and, and the excitement around that, which is just something we, we're not seeing here. Yes, yet. yeah, throw away the basketball, learn linear algebra, kids. <laughs> all <right. laughs> yes. Uh, all right, yeah, so I also worked uh, in uh, one of the artificial intelligence lab last summer. I mean, Chinese Academy of Sciences, a government-funded one. I feel just the scale is astonishing, man. I mean, you, you just sit there and you look at all these people reading up papers, you know, from archive all day mm-hmm. and building shit and having, like, they're funded really well. And, and and these people, I mean, even all the best artificial intelligence people I know in mainland, all of them work at Taotiao. I mean, they have, like, gobbled up all the talent. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's shaping up really, really well. Uh, even Andrew Nudge, he started uh, a new sort of, like, landing door AI where the new company, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure the manufacturers uh, get it get the real benefit of the advances in artificial intelligence that had happened. So yeah, this scene looks like uh, it's really going to be, um, you know, something we could like look forward to in future. Mm-hmm. So And to, to go back a second, um, mm-hmm. what you had mentioned with uh, Andrew's company, I, th- I think it's called landing.ai. Mm-hmm. They're partnered with Foxconn to bring, you know, the artificial intelligence imaging um, and identifying flaws in, in manufacturing for quality control um, so that robots can be smarter and identify issues during the production line. Uh, that's something we haven't seen yet in artificial intelligence and, and, you know, superhuman image recognition is a technology that will greatly benefit there. Mm-hmm. But I think what's more interesting about that company and kind of the trend it's following um, China isn't afraid to apply technology even before it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and this is something with legislation and, and laws and, you know, the Food and Drug Administration. There's so much red tape in the West that it's very difficult to roll out innovative technologies. The biggest example of this is artif- um, artificial intelligence combined with self-driving vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much regulation in this area that it's very difficult unless your your car works, you know, doesn't have an error one in 10 million times before you can even roll out the, the most simple, um, you, you know, roll out of, of the technology. So like have one car on the road or, or something like that. There's a lot of red tape in this area. And this is something that 
doesn't nearly exist to the same level in China. So companies are, aren't afraid to innovate. They'll adopt technology before it's ready. And in doing that, we'll push this technology. Um, so I, I think the excitement and, and the talent being developed, as well as the industry applications, whether it's, you know, social as in actual face recognition and, and surveillance, uh, paying through face facial recognition, these use cases where people aren't afraid to adopt, where companies like Amazon have the same level of technology today, but are afraid to roll it out because they'll lose a dollar out of a hundred dollars from theft. That's something that isn't, um, isn't the case in China. And that's why I think they'll win in a lot of these areas. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, so um, looking at these fast trends that have been 2017 in China, you have a live stream that grew up, you know, videos got shorter, and, you know, WeChat mini program, I mean, that's that's something which is really, really interesting. And that has just began to deliver. And like, what, what do you what do you make of these WeChat ecosystem and how they are like transcending uh, the whole app store thing? Like, do you think they are going to make their own operating system for the mobile world, so to speak? You know, in a lot of ways, I think they already have. Um, recently, sure. Tim Cook uh, had a talk um, at, I forget the name of the event, yeah. but... World Internet Forum, yep, I think. That's yeah, correct. Uh, in Shenzhen. And, and what he had said is, in a lot of ways, Apple is a partner to Tencent because Tencent um, and, and WeChat is taking control from Google. So in, in China, you know, a lot of Google's services are blocked. Gmail, the Google Play Store in, in, in some certain cases. A lot of these things are, are blocked because Google is blocked in China. So that takes control away from Google. You know, the embedded um, Google service architecture and the service ecosystem like Google Pay and, and these other services um, just doesn't exist. So in a way that has been pushed up the software layer to to WeChat and Alipay and, and these other Chinese companies. Um, so that has really taken control away from the operating system and away from the hardware in terms of Android, which is the dominant player. Now, Apple isn't necessarily the same, but the benefit for Apple, and, and this is what Tim Cook had said, is when people want to, um, when Chinese users want to leave Android, um, there's nothing tying them to Google. There's only something tying them to Tencent and, and to WeChat, and now they can frictionlessly transition to an iPhone. Um, now, I also view that as a threat to Apple, and, and this is something that um, Tim Cook had kind of uh, pushed away, and um, I, I, I think he realizes this is a threat, but who knows, Tencent and Apple could become a, a more deep partnership. We don't yet know. Um, but yes, WeChat, I think within the next year or two, will create a phone, WeOS maybe, <laughs> given their naming scheme, um, in the same way that Facebook did, but it will be far more successful. Yeah. The, okay. So I also feel that, you know, Apple has like almost like they have lost out a lot of uh, market because of WeChat. I mean, Apple Pay is almost dead, right? In China. <laughs> I mean, there's no way you can have uh, Apple Pay working now uh, unless they go and make some sort of, you know, uh, more compromises with WeChat. Uh, and, and moving on, I mean, talking about uh, Tencent and Spotify, they bought in stakes in each other, right? And uh, how, do, how do you see this uh, karaoke thing working? Is it the uh, I know for what, the fact that you uh, you believe that this is going to be the next frontier for social. Uh, what what do you think about this deal? 
as far as uh, social music, is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, social music, this karaoke thing, you know, QQ Music, Google, Google, you know, Spotify have like a 140 million users and uh, Tencent Music have a combined 600 million active users. Both of them are like trying to go public now. So uh, do you feel that this is going to be the next big thing in social, this social music sharing, you know, small video thing like small? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is something I, I've talked about a lit, uh, quite a bit. So there is um, and always has been a lot of attention on video, uh, more in China than in kind of West and, and Silicon Valley. There's a ton of innovation in, in live streaming apps. There's a ton of innovation in, in um, video on demand. Um, and now the same is happening to music. Um, so... In, in the U.S., a lot of things are kind of linear, as in you have your music playlists and then you kind of transition to um, streaming and, and the service would determine what you want to listen to next. And it's just a linear thing that you play in the background. Mm-hmm. This is something that's kind of changing now that music is becoming more embedded uh, into this the social platforms and the social ecosystem. Um, YouTube is the largest music um, streaming service in the world. Most people don't know that. They would think it's Apple Music or iTunes and Google Music or whatever. It's actually YouTube, a video platform where people are just streaming music videos or uh, cover art with music uh, as the audio track. Um, That's a trend that I think is going to continue. And the interesting thing is um, things like Musical.ly, which, like I said, had come out of China and are very innovative in this fashion. Musical.ly... in itself, every piece of content you create is an advertisement for music. So um, when you lip lip sync or, or whatever, like you had said, yeah. um, with karaoke, each of those is a um, advertisement for the music. And then you can just frictionlessly buy that music or frictionlessly stream it or watch the advertisement and that pays the music creator. That's a new model that, like I said, has come out of China and I think it's going to grow uh, very large this year. Tencent has partnered with, um, like you said, Smule. Yeah. Um, and they are the dominant player as far as karaoke, along with Musical.ly mm-hmm. in the True. US. But they're, I think their apps are actually bigger than Musical.ly in terms of downloads. Um, but Musical.ly is far more engaging. So combining social and music is, is a trend that's going to continue. And Tencent, um, there's no play from Alibaba yet, but I'm sure there will be because they have their own music streaming platform. But Tencent will be very involved in kind of the shift, uh, as is yeah. ByteDance, which Tencent has invested in, I believe. All right. Uh, so before I let you go, like, what do you make of this uh, phone market? You know, Xiaomi, they're planning to planning for an IPO in 2018. And, uh, you know, I, I think that they're not putting a foot wrong. They have uh, almost won the Indian market. I mean, they're one of the largest uh, smartphone market provider in India. And then... What do you think they did right? I mean, people initially said that all they did was copy Apple. Uh, so what, what, do you, what do you feel as uh, they have done right? Uh, and how do you see this smartphone market playing out? Because Huawei was uh, like second most uh, popular one. And uh, it is also going to start selling phones in US next year. So uh, what do you make of this whole smartphone market? This is a good question. Uh, when you say they, they copied Apple... That's a good bar to set. <laughs> Those are good products. Um, and I, I really do think that was the case initially. Um, they were targeting the luxury market, wanted to build. Uh, they were the fast. I, I know uh, Xiaomi was the fastest growing startup um, of all time, I think, um, because they wanted to um, 
compete in the the luxury market with Apple. And they built very good products. But I think what they're discovering is that hardware, and this is something I've kind of predicted for a little while, hardware is commoditizing. (laughs) What is more important is WeChat, the operating system, the services built around that. Um, Devices, their lifespan, I think, is going to be shorter and shorter. Devices are great now, but we use them more. Batteries wear out more, like we're seeing with Apple's current battery gate issues. Um, these are these are commodities. These are you're renting these devices for a year or two to access the software mm-hmm. and services above them. I think that's what Xiaomi has discovered, and they're selling really. And Huawei is doing this too. They're selling very cheap hardware now to get into someone's home, and their business models. I think both of them are aligned on this. Those they're going back and forth on luxury hardware, um, but I think ultimately what they'll discover is the values in the service, and this is what uh, the stores. I think they're both doing this now. The the stores sell you know the internet connected toothbrush or the smart speaker. Technology that's not quite ready yet, but like I said, they're not afraid to try it. So they're going to get a lot more internet of things in the house and it's going to be surrounded by the Xiaomi service ecosystem uh, or the Huawei, whatever their service ecosystem will become. Um, I think that's where things going. Technology is a commodity now. These devices last, um, have smaller lifespans than ever before. And luxury hardware, I think, is rare. And Apple, I think, is discovering this as well. Yeah, that's right. And that sort of sums up the China, isn't it? Like you, they might start off copying Apple or, or they might start off, any Chinese startup might start off, uh, you're sort of getting inspired uh, by any Western counterpart. But after a certain point, they just they, they just go there fearless. I mean, they, they don't, they're not afraid of trying. Like there's none better example than Xiaomi. I mean, uh, it has internet of things, the air fresheners and whatnot. And uh, we can never expect Apple mm-hmm. to do something like that. I mean, they're a lot more concerned about there <laughs> and even ios 11 was a disaster so uh, this has been really bad year for uh, us startup or company scene but let's hope for a better 2018 right dan yes but i'm putting my bet on china <laughs> <laughs> all right all right okay so it was it was great it was great having you here daniel uh thanks for being on the show yeah it was great talking to you too um and i have one quote that i really like this is from okay. um Kai Fu Li from Google. He, he led Google China okay. um, and is, has gone on as an investor and to, to lead much of the kind of innovation economy in China. Mm-hmm. And he said a quote that was very interesting to me and I think sums up the Chinese ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Many people compare Chinese products with gladiators in the Coliseum. <laughs> I'm afraid that Silicon Valley companies are just no gladiators. They get killed in China. And I think that's a narrative that's going to continue into 2018. uh, And Chinese companies will uh, grow more powerful over the next few years. All right. Awesome. Just thanks for being on the soap. Yep. Thank you too. So that was it, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, It was a very fun chat. And Daniel really brings great insight about China and Asia in general. So you guys can follow us at at the rate ATC podcast on Twitter. And you can follow Daniel or at the rate underscore Daniel Sinclair and me on at the rate dope tart on Twitter. So yeah, till next time. Peace out. (laughs) 